episode 788. Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson had plenty to say at the NFL owners' meetings this week, including some thoughts on the offensive line. Coming on the show to react to those comments is Marty Kaufman of the Packers Wire. It's all coming up on Railbird Central next. Good morning, Green Bay Packers fans. And welcome to Railbird Central at Cheesehead TV, the longest tenured Packers podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Brian Caravu, and we're talking about the NFL owners' meetings today. To do that, we have a guest joining us. We have Marty Kaufman, who's about to tell us more about himself. Enjoy. Baltar, find me another expert, one that likes me this time, okay? Right now on Railbird Central, we're continuing our Packers Wire theme, going for a second consecutive episode after having Zach Cruz on the show on Monday. Today, we've got Marty Kaufman joining us. Marty, how are you? Good, how are you? Very good. We're glad you could join us on the show. Marty, in an attempt for our listeners to get to know you, can you tell us a little bit about the outlets you write for? Because you write for the Packers Wire. And also, I've seen you write for the Green Bay Press-Gazette. Can you tell us a little bit about each? Yeah, I've been at the uh, Press-Gazette more on the sports assistant, local sports side of things, mainly covering all the high school and local college stuff like St. Orban and Green Bay stuff mainly. And then for Packers Wire, mainly Packers stuff and all the free agency and draft rumors and news we've got in the last month or so. Very cool. Well, you're doing a good job. Keep up the good work. Uh, today, during our discussion, we're going to be reacting a lot to the comments made by Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson from the NFL owners meeting, which is going on currently in Phoenix. But Marty, Mike McCarthy spoke to reporters on Tuesday about keeping both Brian Balaga and Jason Spriggs at tackle. Uh, do, do you agree with this approach? And where do you think the Packers will find their starting right guard? Uh, I do kind of agree with it. I think they drafted Spriggs as a tackle. They weren't sure if they wouldn't be able to re-sign Bakhtiari, which they didn't during the uh, season this past year. But I think finding a guard in the draft is the most likely scenario. I mean, you see it how many times Ted Thompson has found guards or any offensive lineman in the middle rounds of the draft. He found his two starting guards the last how many years, and Josh Sitton and P.J. Lang. I just think that's the way they're going to go. That's how they've always done it, and I just think that's the philosophy that they'll go with. As for Ted Thompson, he spoke in on Monday at the NFL owners meeting, and he talked in a general sense about extending the contract of Aaron Rodgers while Mark Murphy said the Packers had a plan to do so. Marty, when, when do you think this actually happens? Um, I was thinking about this. I'm thinking it's going to happen in 2018, whether that's in the offseason of next year, during training camp, or maybe during the season. I'm guessing it's going to happen before any snaps are played that year. I just think that they'll get it done in 2018. He's up in 2020. I just think that they'll want to get that out of the way pretty quick. And, and the market's changing year in and year out. So Rodgers and his agent will, might come to them saying, hey, let's work on this. It's speculatory right now, but I'm going to go with 2018. Next year is going to be the year when they work on this understandable wonder if they'll get it done before free agency so they kind of know how some of their money will be allocated next season but uh, Marty Thompson also acknowledged the team 
Need some more guys, he said, at the running back position, but he kind of declined to comment on Adrian Peterson specifically. Do you think Peterson should still be an option for the Packers the longer he remains a free agent, or, or where do you think they're going to look for running backs? I think Peterson can remain an option as long as he's still a free agent, honestly. And I think the longer it plays out with him not being signed, I think it plays more in the Packers' favor. He's not a guy that you would think fits the Packers' offense. He doesn't play in the shotgun well, doesn't really catch the ball. He's got trouble run blocking. But what he does provide is he provides that veteran experience because his backfield's pretty young. You only got Ty Montgomery. Uh, Christian Michaels has been here for less than a half a season, and then you got Don Jackson. It's not a. It's a very young group. I think Peterson can provide that veteran experience, and also too, he might still have some gas left in the tank, and he can be a, a nice complement to the style of Montgomery. But I think too, you're going to see a running back taking in the draft by the Packers here. I just don't. I don't see a need taking in round one. I would see it more so in the rounds three through five, is my guess. Just that's the way Thompson has always operated in the draft, and I just think. They'd rather go with a younger back. Probably they can control for the next couple of years. More comments from Ted Thompson here. He said he's gotten some questions and some ribbing from other general managers after signing four players from other teams this offseason in free agency. Murdy, has that surprised you that he's done that? Um, it's, you don't see him sign more than usually two guys probably in the offseason. So four is different. I think it's it's, it's the signings are not unlike Ted Thompson. He's found a lot of veteran guys he can sign. I think Martellus Bennett's probably the most unlike signing with a big name. Usually we don't see the big name signings in Green Bay, but guys like Lance Kendricks, Ricky Jean, Ricky Jean Francois, those are the type of signings that Ted always looks for in the offseason. Uh, Thompson seemed almost apologetic about Micah Hyde's departure, saying, quote, sorry to see him go. Marty, did did Hyde signing with the Bills catch you off guard? Uh, and at first it did. I mean, everyone, I think, this offseason, anybody covering the Packers or fans of the Packers, they all expected Mike Hyde to come back. He is pretty much one of the epitomes that you see in that draft and develop mantra that the Packers always follow. He's developed, he was considered undersized, and they made him into a versatile and reliable defensive back. But then when you saw the contract that he signed, I don't think it's surprising at all that he not in Green Bay anymore. You see what Mike Hyde has done the last four years. He's not like the number one corner, the number two option. He's mainly been a slot guy, safety. It's more the versatility and reliability, reliability that I think will be missed. But seeing the money that he signed with, I'm not surprised he's not in Green Bay anymore. Yeah, he costed a lot. We're talking to Marty Kaufman of the Packers Wire and the Green Bay Press-Gazette here at Railbird Central on a Wednesday morning. Marty, uh, Thompson commented on defensive lineman Latroy Guyon's suspension, uh, saying, quote, it will work itself out, end quote. Do you, do you think the Packers should release Latroy Guyon or keep him on the roster? I think they should keep him on the roster. I mean, everyone has talked about how they need veterans on this defense. It's young. I, if you cut Latroy Guyon, then you're just kind of going back to, uh, you're kind of going against that where, you need that veteran experience in him. Granted, you just signed Ricky Jean, Jean Francois that adds more depth, but that depth is needed there at defensive line. Year in and year out, we've seen injuries and uh, inconsistent play that D line. And you still got two young players in Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry who did come along late in the year, but they're still in their development process. And I think when you have a defensive line that fit, features Mike Daniels, Latroy Guyon, Ricky Jean Francois, it provides a lot of depth in that front seven, which 
has um, improved lately, but it, it was a part of a weakness in the defense years ago. Well, you alluded to it. Details of Ricky Jean-Francois' contract went public on Tuesday. It's a one-year deal worth $2 million and included a couple bonuses. Did you think the Packers would have to pay more for him? Um, I figured it couldn't have been more than $5 million. It had to be probably less than that. They didn't really they didn't want to sign Dayton Jones to that kind of a deal, and he was a younger player. So I was thinking altitude, and he was also kind of like Latroy Guyon in a sense where – they signed him the first time around where he's an older player, like he's a veteran. But it's a typical Ted Thompson signing. He's going to find a guy who provides veteran experience. He's going to be a little bit on the cheaper side, but he'll be a solid player, I think, this year. And then he'll. it was a smart contract and a good deal for Green Bay, I believe. All right, it's official, Marty. The Oakland Raiders are moving to Las Vegas, eventually at least. What would be your level of interest in going to see the Packers play in Vegas in the coming years? Uh, it has to be up there, I think, I, with, along with Los Angeles with the Rams and the Chargers now. Uh, I've been to Vegas twice in my life. It's a fun city. <laughs> I, I'm 23 years old. I'm, I'm on the younger side, so it would be a fun trip, for, I think, for a lot of younger fans and older fans to go out there. I mean, Vegas is a great city to be in. There's a lot of stuff to do, and I think putting an NFL team out there is just going to create more buzz and Packer fans travel well, and you know when the next time the Packers will play in Vegas, there'll be a lot of green and gold there, like always. <laughs> no shortage of entertainment options. Uh, Marty, a- anything to promote? Do you have anything coming up on tap at the Packers Wire? Uh, there's daily posts every day. I know Zach. You had him on Monday, Zach. Zach's on the ball every day. We're getting stuff up. This past week, um, I had a couple stuff. We went through a little bit of Ted Thompson's draft history, went through uh, his best pick in each round, and then uh, Tuesday we went through every worst pick he's made. So for every good pick he's made some, he's had some misses. But yeah, Packers wire it's slowly building up. We're getting a lot of stuff posted every day. Keeps you up to date on every news going on with the Green Bay Packers. Sounds good. And what is your personal Twitter account so our listeners can follow you? Uh, it's Marty Kaufman Eight, and it's Kaufman with two F's and one N, and then Eight. No spaces, no nothing. Sounds good, Marty. All, thank you. Did I interrupt you? Nope. Okay, very good. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Keep up the good work, and we're happy to have you on the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. Once again, thanks to Marty Kaufman for joining us here at Railbird Central, and thanks to you, the listener, for joining us here on a Wednesday morning as we continue on with the show. Today's show is brought to you by B-Rock, Madison's forthcoming craft beer bar, of which I personally, Brian Kervu, am the prospective owner. We've started a GoFundMe campaign to raise startup capital for the project and hope you'll consider contributing Here's a clip we created for the campaign. Please take a listen. Hey everyone, this is Brian Caravu, and hopefully sometime soon you'll know me as the owner of Beer Rock, a craft beer bar in Madison, Wisconsin. You might be asking, what the heck is a Beer Rock? Well, it's the family recipe of my wife Amanda, and it's going to be the signature item on our menu. In its simplest terms, a birok is similar to a pasty, except better. It's a savory pastry filled with beef, sauerkraut, onion, cheese, and seasoning. At least that's the traditional version. We also plan on having other various interpretations. How does a Korean birok with pork and kimchi sound? To make this a reality, however, we need your help. 
We're looking to get a small business loan to do all sorts of things like lease a property and buy all the equipment we need. That's why we set up a GoFundMe campaign. Your donation will go towards the equity needed to secure that loan. Once that's done, the dominoes will start falling. Best of all, we've created several reward levels to thank you for your generosity. They range from branded t-shirts to free food and drink on premise. So please take the time to explore and thank you for your consideration. We hope you become one of the founding members of B-Rock and Bottoms Up. Next segment. What the hell's going on out here? I'll try to tell you, Vince, in our Packers news segment. Perhaps the biggest news coming out of Phoenix was Mike McCarthy's comments on the vacant right guard position and how unlikely it is that either Brian Balaga or Jason Spriggs would be the one to fill it. McCarthy didn't go as far as to close the door 100% on the idea. He perhaps left the door open a crack, but it's clear he wants to keep these players at tackle. And to an extent, I get that. Obviously, you need two starting tackles. And David Bakhtiari is entrenched as a young starting left tackle who just received the first contract of his extension of his career last season. But you also need a backup to him in the event he suffers an injury like he did late in the 2015 season and missed several games. Jason Spriggs is that player, and there's not even a doubt about it. Knock on wood, if David Bakhtiari suffers a season-ending injury, Jason Spriggs is the starting left tackle for the rest of the year. Now, I've shared my thoughts at length on the vacant right guard position on the episode immediately following the departure of TJ Lang to the Detroit Lions and free agency, and I think the Packers should kick Brian Balaga into guard. The argument against it is that Balaga is a top flight right tackle, and I totally agree. But I have no reason to think Brian Balaga can't be a top-flight right guard. Uh, absolutely none, apart from potential injury, but, but that would have nothing to do with Brian Balaga's talent or capability. People also say putting Balaga at right tackle has the potential to weaken two positions instead of one. And to that, I say, is quite a defeatist attitude. Here's what we know about Brian Balaga compared to Jason Spriggs. We know Brian Balaga has the shorter arms. We know Brian Balaga weighs more. And we know Jason Spriggs is the better all-around athlete if you look at all the testing from the NFL Combine, like all the drills you're timed in. To me, that tells us who could at least potentially make the better guard and who could make the better tackle. Obviously, I know Jason Spriggs has a lot to prove, his functional play strength being the biggest obstacle among them, especially being on the strong side at right tackle in the NFL. And hopefully in his second season in the league and a full offseason in the Packers program, he's improved in that regard. So all I'm saying is let's give Jason Spriggs a chance to prove he can be the right tackle and Balaga can prove to be the right guard, 
And the sooner the Packers try it, the sooner they become more comfortable in these roles. What's the hurt in doing this? I'm guessing that even if the Packers didn't move Bulaga to guard, Spriggs would still be the first in line to be the backup right tackle anyway, right? So he needs rep there as it is. So why not give it a shot? The Packers traded up to grab Spriggs in the second round last year. Let me repeat that. They traded up to get him in the second round last year. They obviously think highly of him. Or they did think highly of him. Now, did did they find out in year one that he's a bust? I have no reason to think that, but I didn't see him in practice every day. The Packers did. So why not give him that chance? They seem hesitant to give him that chance, which I, I really don't understand that. To, to to just try it out. Let's let's go for a test ride in the offseason. We're not playing anybody in April and May and June. So why not give it a shot? Now, understand, the one hesitation I have and the one that makes the most sense to me is if the Packers draft a guard early in the NFL draft. I I understand why they may not want to move Brian Balaga to guard day one of the offseason program if they end up drafting just for example, Forrest Lamp of Western Kentucky in the first round. All of a sudden, it was all for naught then because you probably insert Lamp right away into the starting offense and and find out if he can do it. Uh, but, but, I mean, why not do that with Jason Spray? I, I mean, if they would draft Forrest Lamp, they're going to insert him into the starting lineup day one, right? Only if he fails would they remove him. So why not do that with Jason Spriggs? Let's insert him into tackle day one, kick Brian Balaga in, and only if it fails would you make a change. So I, you know, why why do it just for a guy like Lamp, and not do it for a guy like Spriggs? Like I said, maybe the Packers found out Spriggs was a bust. I do, that's the only reason I can think of. Why they wouldn't do it? I I I don't even believe that myself. I I don't. I have no reason to think Jason Spriggs kind of had an up and down rookie season. He played most of his time at guard where he doesn't fit. So I think kicking him out to tackle, of course, makes sense. But, but I, I didn't think he played so poorly that he can't play in the NFL. That that's just being a rookie. He's getting his feet wet. So that that that's. Uh, I'm just relaying here Mike McCarthy's thoughts on the issue and what I think the Packers should do. <laughs> I know I I tend to be in the minority on this position here, but that's the way I would handle it. Like I said, you know, I, I if this if Brian Balaga's feelings are hurt so much by by being asked to move to guard, let let's point to his contract worth tens of millions of dollars and say, do you want to sleep on that money, Brian? <laughs> you know, I, I, and I don't think that's the case either. I don't think Brian Balaga's, you know, feelings are going to be hurt if they ask him that. I don't think he's that type of person. But are the Packers that scared of asking him? Come on. My, uh, then Mike McCarthy, let's look at your contract and, and the millions of dollars you're owed to make tough decisions. This is a tough one, but you're being paid 
millions and millions to make tough decisions. <laughs> and if it totally bombs, then so what? It, you're, you're in the offseason program. You can make a change in training camp and still have plenty of time to figure out who the right guard is going to be, whether it's Kyle Murphy or Lucas Patrick. By all means, I, I don't want to, you know, don't give those guys a chance. But, it, you know, if I'm making the power rankings of the guys currently on the roster, you know, let, let's let's look at the, let's rank the top Packers players on, on the roster right now. We've got David Bakhtiari and Brian Balaga, one and two. Uh, we've we've got Corey Lindsley three. We've got Lane Taylor number four, and if I'm ranking the the next guy I trust the most in a power ranking of offensive linemen, Jason Spriggs comes in number five. Kyle Murphy comes in number six, and maybe Lucas Patrick or Don Barclay comes in number seven and eight. Why am I giving the sixth, seventh, and eighth guys the chance ahead of Jason Spriggs? to start on the offensive line. Isn't the idea to put the five best guys out there? <laughs> that That's why I don't get it. Uh, I don't get it. Brian Balaga is a great right tackle. I think he can be an equally great right guard. It, it, you know, and it, it makes sense to me. He, he's got the shorter arms. He, he's a little more limited of an athlete than you like at tackle. So the, those are all things that tend to make a good guard in the NFL where he's got help on both the left and the right side of him. It, it makes sense to me. I, I don't know uh, to give it a shot. If it fails, it fails. You make the change in training camp and you still got a whole training camp to prepare for another, another option or another eventuality. So uh, I, I feel like this is really the second time I've kind of gone on this rant, but it's the first since, you know, Mike McCarthy kind of, talked about keeping these players at tackle. There were other comments from McCarthy and other coaches in the NFL we could dissect and parse from the NFL owners meetings, uh, but there's only one I really want to get into, and that's the comments on new Packers tight end Martellus Bennett. The common theme I'm getting, not only from Mike McCarthy, but the media sought out Adam Gase on Tuesday, head coach of the Miami Dolphins, but more relevantly, the former offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears where he coached Bennett. Uh, the common theme is what good of a blocker Martellus Bennett is, and not just as a run blocker, which you think is kind of like the main thing a tight end would do. He's even a good pass blocker, which Case more or less said was a double-edged sword because having Martellus Bennett pass block meant he wasn't going out and running routes. But really, it speaks to the Packers getting a true three-down tight end, a guy that doesn't have to come off the field very often because he does everything well. So I think that really speaks to why the Packers went out and sign Bennett, and why he was a priority for them. So I just wanted to throw that out there because the media sought out Gase. And by the way, that when I'm speaking about all these comments from Mike McCarthy and, and other coaches at the NFL owners' meetings, these have been quotes provided by a variety of outlets, not just one. And it's all the outlets repeating the same thing. So that's why I'm not singling out anyone here. You know, uh, 
Ryan Wood of the Green Bay Press-Gazette is there. Uh, I've seen Rob Domovsky uh, of the Green Bay Press-Gazette provide articles from there. Chris Roth of WBAY in Green Bay is there. So all these outlets are, are where we're getting these comments and thoughts from today. Um, as far as rule changes go, I don't have strong feelings on the outlawing the leap over the center on place kicks. Um, but interestingly, as it relates to the Packers centralizing the replay system, uh, be, because it was proposed by Packers president Mark Murphy as part of the league's competition committee. This will be a change for the NFL and something Major League Baseball already does. I personally didn't see a huge need for it. J just echoing the comments from Zach Cruz on Monday's show, if the NFL is going to hire full-time officials, I see even less of a need to centralize replay. Uh, the the, the full-time officials should be more equipped than ever to handle these duties themselves, but it's a done deal now. Uh, but I don't really see why that was necessary. But I also have some thoughts on disqualifying a player after being penalized twice in one game for certain unsportsmanlike fouls, something we've kind of seen at the college football level uh, when you have the targeting call and they can get ejected from the game after really one penalty. Uh, um, and I just think... I am a very strong proponent that football needs to take the head out of the game. And I, I think we've seen it happen more. We've seen it happen better, really, since they kind of really focused on that and, and you know, penalizing players on especially hits over the middle of the field. When, when, a, when a receiver is catching the ball, it doesn't have to be over the middle of the field. But those defensive backs going up and hitting him the helmet, we've seen less of them, but we still have a ways to go in that. Uh, to me, the evidence is overwhelming in terms of, you know, hits to the head, causing CTE, causing all sorts of problems, we're being depression, memory loss, all sorts of things. And we're hearing it from retired players in the NFL. We've seen retired players commit suicide over it. Uh, to me, that that's that's above the game, uh, and the NFL, they just need to take the headshots out of it. That they can be physical. I I am a fan as hard hits as any, just not with the head. <laughs> and to to for a guy to be penalized twice and get kicked out of a game, it, that makes sense to me. It, you know, you know what what's going to happen? Defenders are going to have to hit lower which way I don't understand why they can't already the the outcome of that, of trying to hit lower. Yeah. There's going to be a few more missed tackles. Oh, God forbid. And I made this comment yesterday on the score when I joined Marcus path on the show. And I'm kind of, that's kind of what's prompting this little rant by me here. Um, you know, God forbid a defender has to miss a few more tackles. You know, oh, that's oh, what what's it what's going to be the result then? We're going to see a few more touchdowns. You know, let's get over ourselves. Let's let's stop acting like a few more missed tackles is the end of the world. Yeah, I feel bad for the defender, but I feel worse for the guy getting hit in the head. <laughs> this should be a thing. 
hit lower and see what you're hitting. Just that, that should be the way NFL is played. And, And, you know, it's especially happens on defenseless receivers, not just them, but quarterbacks who are sitting back in the pocket. Those are the guys most at risk, not to say it's entirely that way, but I understand it doesn't happen basically in the box in the run game. Those kind of collisions happen. I don't know what you can do to prevent them. I'm okay with with head contact there. I don't like it, but I don't know what else you can do. It's more the defenseless guys where we got to take the head out of the game. So I like this that they're they're going to disqualify a player after being penalized twice. <laughs> Once might be bad enough. Twice, uh, you know, and it's it's not necessarily just headshots. They they got you know it's for unsportsmanlike, which can be you know, several different things. Um, But yeah, Uh, anyway, next segment. The day ahead. We've already heard from Packers head coach Mike McCarthy at the NFL owners meetings, and we're about to hear even more. On Tuesday was the AFC coaches breakfast, and on Wednesday, it's now the NFC's turn. So Mike McCarthy, along with every coach in the NFC, including the North Division, will be eating breakfast for a duration of one hour while the media, they each get their own little table and they nibble on some snacks and drink some juice or coffee or whatever it is and basically answer questions for an hour straight. Uh, A lot of the questions come from the local beat reporters who are there, those guys I mentioned earlier, but also guys from other teams are going to come to Mike McCarthy, like uh, there's going to be some Lions reporters coming to Mike McCarthy asking about TJ Lang. There's going to be some Buffalo Bills reporters coming to Mike McCarthy to ask about Micah Hyde. Uh, And and the reverse happened yesterday. Packers reporters went and asked about Micah Hyde to the Bills coach. So uh, basically the reverse uh, of what happened. So that's happening on Wednesday at the NFL owners meetings. As things kind of wrap up, this is kind of the end of it. It lasted from Sunday through Wednesday, and that's the last thing that's basically going, maybe not the absolute last thing, uh, but uh, they wrap things up on Wednesday in Phoenix, and that's the end of the NFL's owners' meetings and what's going to come out of it. So any comments that Mike McCarthy makes, on uh, Wednesday, we'll get to on Friday's episode here of Railbird Central. Uh, the Pro Day schedule, once again, it's a packed schedule with, with Pro Day's university across the nation hosting such events, including, here's the list, uh, at least of the big ones, the Division One FBS schools hosting Pro Days, Miami, Texas A&M, Maryland, Navy, Ohio, SMU, Florida International and a host of other smaller colleges are doing the same. I've seen South Dakota, South Dakota State doing their pro days and other ones as well. Those are just some of the more notable ones that are happening on Wednesday. There will be more on Thursday and through the rest of the uh, early April as they kind of wrap those things up. Packers scouts will be at least a handful of those events. The team doesn't publish which events they send scouts to, but you can guarantee They'll be at several of them. And finally, uh, Wednesday, today, March 29th, is the deadline to submit photos for the Packers ticket takeout, ticket 
takeover contest. Uh, every year the Packers do this, or at least have been for the last handful of years. It's becoming a tradition in which they uh, encourage fans to submit photos that will appear on tickets for one game. So, uh, And this you know, goes on 80,000 tickets, basically everyone at Lambeau Field for, for a game this year. So they look for the best uh, out of them and, and then choose one. And that's what it is. So you go to PackersEverywhere.com to do it, to upload a photo uh, that could potentially win. And uh, you or your friend or family or whoever the picture is of uh, will be on a ticket for a Packers game this upcoming season in 2017. So the deadline to submit photos today, and then they'll vote on them very soon. So uh, anyway... That does it for today's episode of Railbird Central. Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us today. Thank you to Marty Kaufman of the Packers Wire and the Green Bay Press-Gazette for being our guest on the show and uh, continuing our theme of the Packers Wire writers for joining us here at Railbird Central, which airs every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time, which is the live edition of the show podcasted and on demand later in the day. Um, And yeah, that'll do it, folks. Have a good Wednesday. We'll see you again Friday for another edition of Railbird Central. On behalf of everybody at Cheesehead DV, I'm Brian Caravu. See you later. I leave you today with a song called Mental Floss by Keller Williams on Psy Fidelity Records. Go, pack, go. Go, pack, go.